Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Today, what we're going to be thinking about is being a Christian living in the world. And I hope you go to home today feeling both challenged and encouraged to live differently. You might have noticed there are some unidentifiable objects behind me, and these are going to help me illustrate my points today, and we'll reveal one at a time. But first, let me tell you a story. When I went to university, um, I was 18, I was quite naive. Um, I'd grown up in a village, uh, or hamlet really, and went to secondary school, also in a village, there was about 90 kids in my year. I'd say I probably uh, was a bit of a a goody-two-shoes, didn't really get into trouble, had nice friends. And so by the time that I arrived for university, um, my first day, I don't think I was quite prepared. I got out of the car with my parents, we headed towards the place to go and pick up my keys. I went to Lancaster University, I took a picture, I found it on the internet, Um, and these are some of the accommodation that I stayed in, as you can see there's some nice barbecue areas that the townhouses um, open out onto, and I was walking along, one house was blaring out this um, sort of like bass beat music, and as I passed another house, four topless guys ran out holding beers going, way! Um, I did not know what I was walking into. Where was I? Picked up my keys, headed to my house to find my room, and I bumped into a girl with nose piercing, tattoos, blue hair, carrying the biggest subwoofer I have ever seen. She was from Rochdale. She sounded like no one had ever spoken to before. You can tell I'm from the South. And I felt sorry for whoever was going to be sat next door to her if that speaker was anything to go by. Um, I carried my bag up to my room, started unpacking, left my room to get more bags. There was that girl carrying her big subwoofer. Oh, look, we're going to be bathroom buddies, she said. And I swallowed. Um, the thing, I had been scarred, you see, because when I went to university to visit my older sister, she went to York. She had quite a disruptive flat. And um, I remember her telling me stories about mornings she would go into the kitchen and find someone had peed in the bin. Um, so I was staying with her. I was sleeping on a blow-up bed on her floor, and it was 3 a.m. And I remember just, I was like shuddering, because the room next door had a big bass speaker, and it, they were playing it at 3 a.m., and I was being, well, I couldn't sleep, obviously. Anyway, so the first evening of my night at university, everyone got out their vodka and their rum. Um, I hadn't brought anything with me, so I went to the local shop with one of my housemates, and I bought some Diet Coke. I realised I'm not coming off at all cool here, but the first night I fresh was on campus, I snuck home early. The next night, I decided to sit out. I didn't want to get drunk. I was a little bit scared, and um, I separated myself from everyone. And this is an example we as Christians can take um, in our approach to navigating the world. We can form Christian bubbles, and this is known as separatism, retreating from culture and living at arm's length from the world. Is this you? I think we can also fall prey to another way of living, though. We can separate ourselves from the world, or we can become very much like the world. And this is called syncretism. And I think I fall foul of this a lot, too. I think of my group of friends from school, um, a group of four lovely girls. None of them um, are Christian, but I think if an onlooker was to look at the five of us hanging out, I'm not sure that they would be able to tell that I was anything different from the rest of them. They're nice girls. They don't have wild lives. But I don't think that I particularly stand out as a Christian in that friendship group. Um, And we're called to be salt and light. And that is what we are thinking about today. We're going to be studying from Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Um, I would like us to read it aloud together. 
should come up on the screen. Hopefully, your eyes can see that. Let's go. Are you ready? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill. Oh, I said it wrong. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you're mic'd up, you can tell how like, badly I'm reading. Oh well, hopefully you got the gist. Okay, it's time to reveal our first unidentifiable object. So I'm going to see if anyone can guess what it could be. It's this one here. Oh, so I feel like some people are saying salt. And they would be correct. Would anyone like to try a bit? Maybe Dan, are you in the mood for some rock salt? I love rock salt, yeah. Can you tell us, is it salty? That is salt, yeah. That is one block of salt. Delightful. Um, so, in, if you go to the next slide, Sam, I've just pulled out the salt-related verses. Um, salt is essential for human life. We can't live without salt. And at the same call for us as disciples on this earth, we are essential to the well-being of the earth. Now, back in those times, salt had three distinct purposes. And if we reveal some more items under the blanket, we'll see if you guys can guess what those purposes are. Okay, I'll start with probably what I think is the easiest one. Oh, gosh. I didn't put it in the right order. This is... What is this? Just... Chris. This is the only crisp we had in the house. <laughs> um, and ignore the flavour. Pretend they're salty. Um, what, what does salt do to crisps? Flavour. Thanks, Janet. Flavour. We are called to have our speech seasoned with salt. <laughs> You're going to, like, laugh at what I've created, because they're all pretty rubbish. What is this? <laughs> this is... Pardon? What, um, you have to cast your mind back to olden biblical times. Preserves it. Thank you. Yes. So back in the days where there were no fridges and you had meat, you would rub salt onto it to preserve it. And we're called, as Christians, to preserve the earth, to um, steward it well. The final one is probably the, the best of the like, worst types of things. Because as you can tell, I don't have any children in my household, so I don't have any cuddly toys. Um, so I've made one. <laughs> um, what do you think it looks like? It's clearly a sheep. Thank you, thank you. So we've got, we've got salt um, that flavours, salt that preserves. This is probably the hardest one. Um, does anyone else know what... You might have used salt for And this is a dead sheep, in case you didn't realise. Purification. Purification. Oh, Sam's got my notes. I didn't hear what you said, Rachel. You might have said that. Purification. So back again, when Jews were sacrificing, um, which is something that happened pre-Jesus, they would sacrifice to atone for their sins, and they would kill an animal and burn it on an altar, and they would put salt onto it um, to kind of purify it. So salt has three purposes. To make pure... Um, using animal sacrifices for flavour and preservation. And Jesus told his followers to become like salt. And he was calling us to make things pure, to have our speech seasoned with God's grace, and to do our best to preserve the world. 
In Colosh, um, pure. Making things pure looks at what we do each day. How do we live our lives? Other words for pure are righteous, moral, reputable, wholesome, untainted. The flavour speaks to our words. Is what we say kind, grace-filled, of value? Do we just speak the first thought that comes into our head, use our tongue to be unkind or to waffle on? In Colossians verse six, uh, 4, verse 6, it says, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And the preservation, as I said, speaks to how we conduct ourselves in the world. Our, our activities looking after creation is how we act bringing God's um, kingdom to earth. Are we conscious about buying ethically? Do we recycle? Do we steward the earth well? There's some pretty hefty challenges there. Who knew salt had quite so many uses? Um, when we read the verse, it tells us to remain salty, because what is the point of salt if it loses its saltiness? Back in those days, salt would have come from the Dead Sea, which is that famous sea that is so, so salty, nothing can live in it. That's why it's dead. And so the salt probably wouldn't have been pure. It would have been mixed with other minerals that came from the water. So when it became tasteless, you would probably just throw it out and all the residue would just go on the floor. And that's what it says in that verse. It says you would stamp on it. What's really cool, though, is that there's a clever wordplay in here, um, which Matthew is using, because the word Greek for tasteless can also be translated as foolish. And I think Matthew is not literally telling, or Jesus is not literally telling us in Matthew to become like sodium chloride, but it tells us to bring purity, flavour and preservation to the world and not to be fools, to, to listen to what he's saying. But it's not just salt that we're called to be like. Who can guess what is left under my blanket? It's quite obvious because I turned it on. A lamp. Oh, I better get a little. Ta da! Ta da! We are called to be light. And this is Jesus' second metaphor, a different picture. Now, we all understand light. We use it every day. You walk into a dark room, you flick on a switch, and bam, you turn on the light and it fills the room. One thing to note is that light is more powerful than darkness. Light always overcomes the darkness, and we are called to be light. In verse 14, it says, well, Jesus gives us this identity. You, us, are the light of the world. Matthew picks up on this because this is also Jesus' identity. It says in other parts of scripture that Jesus was the light. And now Jesus turns to us and says, you're the light. Israel was supposed to be the light. They failed. Jesus came and he turned to us and passed us on to his followers. And so that really means there's no plan B. We are the light. We read in Isaiah 42, verses 6 to 8, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open up the eyes of the blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Opening eyes, freeing captives, releasing from the dungeon. These are all really active words. We're not called... Um, to just be passive in this. We're called to be active light bearers. In verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In biblical times, travellers obviously didn't have Google Maps. They didn't have street lamps. So when they were navigating and going on routes when it got dark, they would use cities on hills to help them navigate their path. So the way you knew where to go was to look up and see the city on a hill. And there's no hiding a city on a hill, is there? That would be very hard to do. And what would be the point? And that's what it's like for us. We can't be hidden. 
Then it says, nor do people put a lamp under a basket. I've got this box to, to do a visual representation of what they're saying. What would be the point of doing that? But you, tu- you put it actually on a stand so that it gives light to the whole room. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You wouldn't put a box over that lamp. It is designed to give off light to the whole house. And the Bible says, let our light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So I think there's two features of light that we can think about today. Light overcomes and light illuminates. A word on each. As we just said, light overcomes the darkness. You can't have both of them together. You don't open a cupboard and darkness fill the room. It's always the other way around. Light rushes into that cupboard. And if you can't have light and darkness together, how does that work when thinking about our existence as light in this dark world? It means that we carry power into situations because we are the light of the world. And I think it's worth thinking about the power of this light when we're thinking about our own lives, about the battles that we're going through. Where is darkness creeping in? Are there areas of light of your life that you need light? A bad relationship, a tough work situation, a season of grief, a porn addiction. Jesus tells us that we are the light, but God is the ultimate source of light. And he is with us in our situations. And if we acknowledge his presence, he will start to transform us and our situations. And he will bring us comfort and wisdom. And we can bring light into the situations of those around us as well. Um, We're called to be light of the world. And that um, perhaps we can go and bring light to our neighbour who's feeling hopeless. Our friend who's going through a tough time. A family member that's grieving. But is our light bright enough? Is our light even turned on? Because when it is bright, it plays a really powerful part in the world. And light illuminates. It shows you the path. We're called to be light of the world. And that means that we're called to point people towards Jesus. Because what Jesus did for us, the good news of his death and his resurrection, and the fact that he now wants a personal relationship with us, he wants us to live our lives for him. And that is news we can't keep to ourselves. For many people on this earth, They believe that they're here by chance, that their life is just a blip. And if you follow that logic to its conclusion, it means that nothing really matters. And that's a hopeless way to live. I don't know if you'd agree. But we have a hope, and we should invite others to join us in that hope. Jesus also uses light to illuminate areas of our lives that we need to change. So our first invitation from Jesus is to go and to spend time with him and allow him to illuminate our lives We're then transformed by spending time with him. We see in the Old Testament the story of Moses who goes up on the mountain and spends so much time with God that his face starts to glow, radiate God's light. So much so that when he came back down, he had to cover his face up. And I'm not saying now if you go home today or climb a mountain and spend some time with God that you will have a glowing face. But what I am saying is that if you go home and spend time with Jesus today, that you will be transformed and you will become more like light to those around you. And if that's what you want, if you want to passionately pursue your faith, spending time in the quiet with Jesus is your first step. We can't will ourselves to transform. We can't will ourselves to become more like light and soul. It only happens through Jesus. And are we living our lives in a way that directs people to Jesus? 
are we illuminating the world with aspects of God's light? I think, to be honest, as the UK church as a whole, we could do much better. So church, we have a job to do. We're not called just to exist on this earth looking to make our lives as easy and comfortable as possible and surrounding ourselves with comfort until we get to eternity in heaven. But how many of us do that? How many of us honestly think that we are light and salt in the circles that we walk in and by the way that we live our lives? How many of us actually even want to be salt and light? Back to my university days when I become slightly less naive, I did start to assimilate. I'd go to church on a Sunday, I'd go to see you midweek, but um, I wasn't salt or light. I was drawn into the pressures of fitting in. I was enjoying the attention from attractive boys. I would join in with housemates' gossip. And at times, I felt like a fraud putting on my kids' work T-shirt and going to church to teach children about the way. But back then, I would have still called myself a Christian. People would have known me as that Christian girl that plays netball. But I wasn't living in my life in a way that was especially illuminating, set apart. My speech wasn't always seasoned with salt. And you might be sat there thinking, well, Kiri... Why do I want to live as salt and light when the other way is much easier and at times more fun? And it's fine if you're thinking that, and I think it's great that you're here. Those of you who were here last week heard Jess talk about the Beatitudes, which is Jesus' map to live a blessed life. And when you start to dig into what he says there, these are things that are completely different to what we would expect. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus shows us that to live a blessed life, it might look quite different from what we'd expect. So my challenge back to you, if that is what you're thinking, is that you want to be salt and light because God promises that this is a better way of living. For some of us, that knowledge is enough to spur us on. For some of us, we, say, we see that God says it's better and we trust that. But maybe you have doubts, maybe you're not sure. And my challenge back to you is why not try it? Why not try and live in a a way that brings salt and light to the earth and see how your life changes? I know a few people that aren't Christian and whilst the highlight reel of their lives might show their Instagram highlights and their lives look great, but when I'm sat down with a cup of tea asking, how are you really? I find that so many of my friends are not fulfilled. They can never put their finger on why, but they're always searching for something more. And that is what the devil is doing. He is trying to sell to us that the way of the world is a better way of living. It's more shiny, it looks more fun, it's more easy. And so many of us believe it. I believe it sometimes. And I think it takes courage to go against the grain and to live my life differently, to make different choices, forge new priorities. But believe you me, what the world has to offer is not a path to a fulfilled life. It's a lie that is so easily believed. And it is just that. It's a lie. And of course, the devil would want to use that lie to pull us away from living our lives fully out for Jesus. That's why today I've put these two paths in um, our seats. So that you can see there is a wide path and a narrow path. And hopefully that just gives you a visual representation of the options that lie before us for our lives. For me, obviously I told you about my life at university about a decade ago. But I've made steps since to try and be more salt and light in the world. And I'm a long way off, but I thought I'd share a few examples of steps I've been taking over the years. Uh, To be honest, if I look honestly at my life today, I'm probably still in the Christian bubble, um, definitely at that end of the spectrum. Since university, I've only ever worked for Christian organisations. Most of my friends I've met through work or church, and all my family are Christian. And to be honest, that is a problem. My guess, most of you aren't as bubbled as me. 
we're going to talk through using my pictures. Who remembers what the crisps were for? Flavour. So this talks about our speech largely, and I think definitely growing up, for, my, for me, my speech was something that I could weaponise, particularly to my sisters. I knew exactly what to say to make you know, a big punch in the heart. And that was something that I'm not proud of saying, but I had a skill. And so in more recent years, I realised I didn't want to be known as someone that gossiped. I didn't want to be known as someone that spoke negatively or um, had horrible things coming out of my mouth. But I couldn't just stop. I had to replace it with something else. So I've tried, and I'm on a journey, to become more encouraging, to become a bit wiser in what I say and um, how I interact with people. And my current prayer at the moment, I keep asking God for more wisdom so that when I'm having conversations with people, I can point them towards Jesus. Who would like, should I do the meat or the sheep? Sheep. Sheep Sheep is about purity. I'm going to hold it as I say what I've done to be more pure. (laughs) So think about purity. I think um, about the way that I interact in the world. I've got a list of things here. So I don't read or watch things that are really heavily sexualized or violent or evil. I... um, the Bible tells us not to get drunk because drunkenness leads to other sins, and so I moderate my drinking. Um, and I think it's like surrounding myself with, with good people, with people that are good influences on me, um, because I don't want to, um, I guess, be pulled astray. I'm not trying to say, be judgy and say, oh no, I don't do that, and keep myself apart. But at the same time, it's about being a witness and not putting myself in a situation where I could be tempted or um, get wrapped up in the wrong things. And then meat. Meat is for preservation. And I am no eco-warrior, but I'm on a journey, as we all are, to try and just be a bit more conscious of the environment. I think creation is beautiful, and I think all of it screams of God's love and glory. And so you probably can tell that most of my clothes come from charity shops, and um, I try and shop more ethically. I've got two bins in my bedroom, one for recycling, one for actual rubbish, so that I actually do some recycling when I throw things away upstairs. And these are all very small things, but I'm conscious, and I know I've got a really long way to go to be better at preserving the earth. These are just small examples. And in my preparation today, I think I have been reflecting that I am far from being salt and light in this earth, and I've got a long way to go. But I think, really, our most important step for all of us is to grow in our desires to live a godly life, to renounce the lies of the world, that living in the way of the world is a better way to live, because that is a lie. And it's certainly harder to live as salt and light, especially in this broken world. So it is a daily choice that we've all got to make. And I hope that some of what I've said today have sparked something afresh in you. I'm going to invite the band up. And I wanted to leave you guys today with a picture of the wide path, the way of the world, the easy path, and then the narrow path, God's path. It's harder, it's smaller. Um... He doesn't promise that our life will be easy if we choose the narrow path. In fact, we're told that it will be harder. But the end destination, that's what I want you to think about today, the end destination, that is what is important. I love what it says in Matthew a bit further on than the Sermon on the Mount where it says, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? It's all good and well strolling down that wide path, but where will you end up? What will you achieve? I'm going to invite you either for the first time to walk this narrow path to decide to become more salt and light in the world or perhaps you feel like you're already 
on the narrow path and you need prayer today for courage and strength. Or perhaps you thought you were on the narrow path, but when you think about your life, you actually had been more walking along the wide path. But when you think about what you do each day, it looks more like the world than it does um, like what Jesus did. And your invitation today is to, to navigate to the narrow path. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for, the wide, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Do you want to be in that few? Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.